You're gonna look pretty funny trying to eat corn on a cob with no fucking teeth. and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Trek Monthly Mondays number 22 and I am Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell. Hey, how's it going? 22, 2 2 2 <laughs> Two true freaks. I'm wearing my tutu for the occasion. I look nice. Pretty. I'm wearing my two true freaks T-shirt for the occasion. So, <laughs> damn, I, wearing... I, I, re- I must have read the memo wrong. I thought <laughs> you said to wear, wear the sh- tutu. You're supposed to wear the shirt and the tutu. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's the talk of the town in downtown Carrollton when Scott goes to uh to Target to to pick up some stuff. <laughs> To, to Walmart. Go to the Walmart. Well, I wouldn't I'm look eager... any worse than any other freaks that go to the Walmart. So no, you would just end up. Uh, well, you is it peopleofwalmart.com? Oh, that you would oh, just I love invariably. That. Yeah, and if you wore <laughs> if you wore your two, that's what you got to do, man. Take one for the team. <laughs> yeah, wear your two <laughs> wear your two true freaks t shirt and a tutu and you'll get on the you'll get on peopleofwalmart.com. Uh-uh, no uh-uh. doubt. Somebody yep. everybody's got a cell phone and knows Negative. about that. Negative. I've been taking it for the team my whole goddamn life. Somebody okay. else needs to take a take a round once in a while. Th- think of the the publicity for the show, man. <laughs> yeah. Think of the millions of people who'll see you plastered across the internets. You'll be a meme. Oh, when I finally snap and go up to the bell tower, that'll be all the press will ever need, right? That's there. all the meme you got in you. Okay. Yep. Well, I'm excited. I'm, I I only have really one little piece of Star Trek news, and it's just sort of tangential. 
And uh, I went to the comic shop yesterday and picked up uh, a new IDW comic, Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. Ooh. So, which, as you know, was written by Robert Block and um, is basically, this is like the prequel to uh, the Red Jack episode that we did a year or so back or more back. Uh, what, did they... What was that? Did the, they tie it into Star Trek at all? I mean, is there I Star- haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. But I doubt it because I think he wrote the story before he wrote the Star Trek episode. Oh, okay. So I think he I think he took that Star Trek episode as a riff on his story and said, "Hey, I can incorporate one of my stories into this." But I think it's this. I think it's Red Jack. I think it's actually a character from an original series episode, who's probably i'm assuming possessing people and it looks like it's in you know modern times or at least i don't know if they're gonna set it like when the book was written so it looks like it could be modern times 70s you know but it's a modern day jack the ripper but it's the past if you're thinking in star trek context i'd be curious to check it out but i mean they didn't they didn't banner it that way, right? It's not like no. Star Trek Jack the Ripper. It's it's no, just No, it looks okay. very turn of the century looking. The art is very um sketchy and Victorian looking. You Do you know, know who the, the artist is off the top of your head? No, I don't, but I have the comic right ah. here in within reach. Okay, let's see. Art by Kevin Colden, C O L D E N. The name doesn't ring a bell. I'll have it to try to track that the, down, though. The guy, um, Eddie, Eddie Griffith, maybe, who did um, Bacchus. It reminds me of that sort of style. It's uh, it's not black and white, but it's it's black and white with blue and red tint to it. You know, it's got sort of blue for the shadows and red for whenever. Whenever the blood shows up. Ooh. I like so, that. So it looks like an interesting read and I've been having good luck with IDW lately, so I gave it a I gave it a whirl, which is a rare thing. I there was actually a comic that I picked up that uh and then dropped down, which was the IDW True True Blood comic. And I really am digging the T V show. But as I looked at the comic it looked like, ah, you know, they had the characters hanging, you know, the characters are hanging around, and then a monster shows up, and they fight him. You can, so you can't really have any drama in it, you can only have the characters, like, fight a monster, and the monster sort of looked like a goth version of Doc Ock, and I was like, <laughs> well, that's kind of stupid, so I, I decided not to spend my four dollars on that this time. And of course, it's going to be worth eight billion dollars. So there's your comic book tip of the, <laughs> the century. But anyway, I am eager to get to our original series too. show. Yeah. Because, as if you listened to the last episode, you know, this is the only Star Trek the original series that I have never seen. I've only seen up till now. I'd only seen like the last five minutes of it. And um, so this was my fir- this was a, f- a, a for me an original Star Trek experience, you know, which 
How weird is that? I remember, like, back in high school thinking, I'm never going to see this this episode. And then as time went on, I had, you know, I, I mean, I lived with you for a while. You had them all on videotape. Right. Probably, like, three times over. But I remember just being like, you know... I, I, I want to have one that I've never seen, you know, so someday maybe <laughs> I'll flip on the TV and I'll see it and it'll be awesome. But then the podcast came along. So and as soon as the podcast came along, I was like, here it is. I'm, I'll, you know, I'll have to watch it for the show at some point. So I'm finally going to get to sit down and watch the way to Eden, the legendary <laughs> way of way to Eden. The one that I've heard so many stories about glowing stories well i'm anxious to hear your your <laughs> thoughts and opinions on the episode that that you've that you've held back watching all these years but let mm-hmm. me first throw out a, a few little things including a synopsis on this episode synopsis. this is uh episode 75 of the series only a couple episodes left after this one um this one originally was broadcast february 21st 1969 um was written by uh, Arthur Heinemann, I guess, is his name. It's kind of a strange-looking name. Heinemann, I guess, is how it's brought Based on a story by him. And the other writer is credited as Michael Richards, but that's actually a pseudonym for DC Fontana because this was, believe it or not, this was back in the days when women weren't, Really, you know, women in such roles were kind of frowned upon. So in order for her to get her stories sold and turned into TV shows, she she wrote under pseudonyms with male names. It's it's hard to believe as recently as, you know, the late 60s that that sort of shit was going on. But sure enough, uh, directed by David Alexander. So the synopsis on this one is when Captain Kirk sights a stolen spaceship, the Aurora, the Enterprise gives chase and beams the Aurora's passengers aboard just before the cruiser's engines overheat and explode. The Enterprise's new guests are a group of oddly dressed young idealists. Let's just call them what they are. They're goddamn dirty hippies. Freaks! <laughs> Who are looking for a new life on the supposedly mythical planet Eden. Their leader, a brilliant engineer da- named Dr. Severin, is a carrier of some disease that I can't pronounce the name of, and it's deadly to those not immunized against it. He is also insane! His prices are so low! (laughs) And implements a plan... uh, Excuse me. And implements plans to gain control of the Enterprise and to escape to Eden. One of Severin's followers is... How did you pronounce that girl's name during the show? Do you remember? Is it Irini? Irini Norakhapov. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, the name they've got here doesn't... I don't don't remember it being this name in the the episode. Anyway, she's a beautiful young woman uh, who was once romantically involved with Mr. Chekhov. Another follower is the son of the Catulan ambassador to the Federation, which results in Kirk's receiving instructions to handle the group gently and to allow them the freedom of the Enterprise. Severin employs his engineering knowledge to rig up an ultrasonic device that almost kills Kirk and company. Stealing a shuttlecraft, the young people flee to the planet Eden, which Spock has discovered for them. 
Kirk and a landing party follow them down, only to discover that Eden's soil and vegetation are highly poisonous. One youngster, a likable young man named Adam, is dead. The others are rescued except for Dr. Severn, who kills himself by tasting a highly toxic fruit. And that's pretty much this episode, Way to Eden. So I'm dying. I have, I have a big did... problem with that, that synopsis. Oh, okay. Highly likable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? That's, I read it just like it's, yeah. That says uh, something about the person who wrote that, man. Yeah. Highly likable. Okay. <laughs> I liked him just because once I thought it, he was a Herbert. <laughs> once it hit me who that actor is, every scene he was in, he stole the show from me because I just, I, I watch him and I can't get past the other roles I've seen him in. And it just cracks me up to see this, you know, every other role he ever played, he was like the, the tough guy, you know, the the toughest nails you know take no shit kind of guy and in this one he's he's the friggin hippie it it just cracked me up it really he, did he reminded me and and people don't know who john Graw is but he was a spazzy guy we've talked about in high school he reminded me of a mixture of john Graw and quentin tarantino <laughs> oh, Jesus, you know he had that mentioned. jutting chin and the like grin and and i forgot i've i've been Remiss. I I meant to look up who wrote the goddamn lyrics to those songs because I'm very <laughs> suspicious that it was Roddenberry because they <laughs> suck. <laughs> I right. know you were like I didn't want to. You know you you you're not a fan of the songs on this, and I was like, well, it, I, I I might like them in a humorous manner. No, not at all. Not one bit. They no, fucking I, suck. I so have a confession hard. to make. Is that. I was dreading, absolutely dreading, watching this episode. But you know what? I actually really enjoyed it. And but Besides one of the reasons... those songs, man. No, I, I fast-forwarded through the strong songs. episode. You know. Yeah. See, I fast-forwarded through the songs, and I think that's what saves it for me. Is basically, if, if you just excise those portions of the episode, it's it's actually not bad. But it, it's those sequences that, that drag this one down and give it the, the horrible reputation that it has because it just... Oh, they're it bad. Just, it, yeah, it's bad, and it just goes into Goofyville big time. Head to Eden. And and the whole thing is like is these people like gain converts or like gain people over to their side by like we'll sing a happy song you know, <laughs> and the guy's playing his space you know space guitar which sounds like a regular guitar <laughs> basically with no frets so I guess that's how we've advanced with guitars but. Just these horrible songs and you see everybody doing the like that 60s thing where they start nodding their heads and going yeah the music's winning me over and there's people on the bridge awkwardly wiggling their hands and I time thought with the that music dude and, was Scotty I really until Scotty comes until up Scotty and gave comes him the hairy eyeball I thought that guy was Scotty and I was I like I thought he was like oh uh, Jesus you know I, I thought, thought he was having like had stared at one of the the panel's wrong and was having an epileptic seizure or something. 
because man <laughs> it's just you know it's just it's awkward is is one of the f- wor- few choice words yeah. that I would choose to to describe these quote unquote songs I'm standing here wondering what if a man tells another man out of my way trouble for himself all day but all kinds of trouble come to an end when a man tells another man be my friend Uh my friend well what's it going to be Although the part where Spock jams is not a bad quote-unquote jam, <laughs> it's a pretty funky jam for, for uh, you know, you know he does does the funky Vulcan. Right. Well, see, that's another one of those scenes that has this horrible reputation among you know amongst Trek fandom. You know, oh God, you know the part where Spock jams with the space hippies. How stupid and how lame. But, it, you know, in the context of the episode, it makes perfect sense. Spock is the only one who understands what's yeah. going on with them and knows how to communicate on their level, you right. know, to where they'll respect. And and that's what I that's what I really love about this is, you know, Kirk is the dad. At least we know where they are and what they're doing. I don't know why a young mind has to be an undisciplined one. Troublemakers. I used to get into a little trouble when I was that age, Scotty, didn't you? But he's just like, I don't know what the hell these goddamn kids and their yeah yeah music are doing. Just get them off my goddamn ship and get off my goddamn lawn. And uh, and 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 Spock's the one's like, no, I'll, I'll go talk to him. You know, no, you're not crossing me, brother. Right. And but see, I, I think that scene plays very well because I, I again, I, I think that there's this tendency for people to look at that scene or look back on that scene and maybe they imagine in their heads that it's that it's like a traditional jam session where Spock maybe you know he's smiling or he's tapping his feet or he's you know singing if I had a hammer you know, <laughs> exactly it's none of that you know it's it's he's doing what he always does when he plays his whatever the hell the name of that thing is he's sitting there and he's just plucking the strings and all and you know, so everybody else is doing the hippie thing, but he's really not. So I don't think it's that horribly awkward after all. I really don't. Am I crossing you? No. I was just thinking, I... Hey, brother, do you play? Is it Vulcan? Can I try it? reach that brother I really do give session you and us it would sound that's what i came for i wanted to ask 
You know, great white captain upstairs, but he don't reach us. But uh, would he shake on a session? I mean, we want to cooperate like you asked, so I'm asking. If I understand you correctly, I believe the answer might be yes. That one isn't because there's no singing. When, when Quentin Tarantino is singing, I just want to slug him because he's <laughs> he's lip syncing it with that like shit-eating grin. You know what I mean? The, like that that every every song is smug and he does a little dramatic walk around. With I the wonder guitar. if it's really him. Do you think he's? Because I, I doubt it. it's really him singing those songs. Do you think? It could be. It could be because he's. Remember, he was the the band leader of the good old boys in the <laughs> that's in the, right you know he's got that sort of jerry reed look to him too and yeah. jerry reed was an i actually thought it might be jerry reed because jerry reed was an actor slash you know singer and could have possibly have done that well on that subject here here's some uh, some interesting things about this the actor's name is he's, uh, charles napier and you know, you've more than likely out there in listener land, you guys have seen this guy around. He's the guy that gets attacked, and I think he's the guy that gets his face chewed off um, in Silence of the Lambs. He, he was one of the security guards. Uh, he played Murdoch yeah. in uh, Rambo, First Blood Part Two. He was the lead singer and the, and the guy that threatens to knock out John Belushi's teeth in uh, the Blues Brothers. You're going to look pretty funny trying to eat corn on a car with no fucking teeth. Nice. Um, he was in a lot of episodes of uh, The Hulk. He was in some episodes of The A-Team. It actually says here in his biography that he actually provided some of the growls for The Hulk. I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, he would come back later in Star Trek. Um, many, many years later, he would be in uh, the episode Little Green Men of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That was actually a really good episode. And there was another, what was that other Star Trek connection that we found earlier? Now I can't remember what the hell it was. Oh, I know what it was, is that the other person, uh, the other growls of the Hulk were performed by Ted Cassidy, who was Lurch, and he was also that, I can't remember what his character's name was, but he was that big android dude in What Are Little Girls Made Of? So he's also a Star Trek alum, so they have, there's another Star Trek connection right there, but... Yeah, this guy's been around. I mean, he's been in all kinds of movies and TV shows. He's been in a lot of shit over the years. Well, one of the things that struck me right off on this episode is when they beam him. First of all, A, what a weird, you know, they want to go to Eden, but they're basically suicidal. They, like, run their ship till it blows up. But when they beam him up and Kirk's like, you got him, Scotty? And Scotty's like, I, I got him. And they're like... You know, like he's just pulled the most crazy group of freaks, and they are freaky. But when it pans over and you see them, and I saw their costumes and hair and stuff, I was like, "Well, these guys look like a crowd scene in Star Trek: The Next Generation." <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you know, they look like some of the costumes and background scenes of Star yep. Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, but they were just weird, hippy dippy. You know, I mean, the girls didn't look that outrageous. They were just in their standard, you know, outfit of seven veils. That... You're you're right, because I think if you added some color to those just all-white outfits that the Edo wore in, uh, what the hell is that episode? You know, the one where Wesley Crusher fucks up the porno planet. Right, you know? right. If you just throw some color onto their outfits, it's 
this is basically thing. the same damn thing. Yeah. Yeah, they're just hot, hot <laughs> girls in, in skimpy outfits, and, uh, and, it, this episode has a feel for me a lot like the Cloudminders, that it might have been a B-list director on it. There's a lot. It has unusual like tracking shots with the cameras and moving camera shots that they don't usually have. And, uh, but there's some, there's some neat stuff going on in it, you know? I mean, if you really want to, like, do some retcon from Star Trek V, you know, that, that could be why Spock knows so much about these guys and takes an interest in them is, you know, this guy could remind him of Cybok when right. he goes to meet him and determines that he's insane. You know, at first he's very, you know, he's very accommodating and sympathetic and and I was thinking you know maybe that's why Spock is going out of his way in this because you know this reminds him of his brother and the story itself is a little bit like you know Star Trek 5 with you know a, a bunch of religious people with a charismatic right. leader going to their religious destination on the Enterprise well, I have often heard Star Trek V calls a a remake or or a reimagining of this episode. Well, it does have Uhura singing a cheesy song. <laughs> you know, like uh, you know, they say that uh, the Changeling, the episode with um, oh damn it, I'm I'm just failing all over to recall stuff today. You know, the one with the with the probe that comes across aboard Is the it ship. Nomad? Nomad, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where Nomad comes yeah, from. You know, the, the, the first movie is basically a, a remake of that. I can kind of see bit. that. And I can kind of see where, where Star Trek V has a lot of elements of this. But I think that uh, if, if they were going, you know, if Shatner or whoever was really going for a full-out, you know, redo of, of, that, of this episode, then he would have benefited by paying a little more attention to the way this one ends because... I think the ending of this one is its strongest feature. I really like the the ironic. It's almost like a Twilight Zone ending. Yeah. To this one, I like that a lot. I, I really do. I think it, it. It's the thing that always stuck with me. As a kid, you know, when when we would, you know, talk about Star Trek and we talk about episodes. You know, I'm talking like the days before you know they were played on TV all the time, and you know you could get them on DVD or VHS or what. You know, just when you you know, talk with your buddies about different episodes, you know, to try to remember this one. This is the one where people are always say, oh, you know, it's the one where they go to that planet and everything's poison and, you know, the the burns their feet because the grass is made of acid. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. So this is, that was definitely the part that people seem to re- take away from the, you know, beyond the space hippies thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard <laughs> to get past it because with those song yeah. and dance numbers, it really crams it down your throat. And it's and it's so you know cheesily cheesy like retro view of the '60s that it you know it takes you totally out of the future and you're like oh I'm watching a '60s show. Mm-hmm. But I I like how it it sort of covers both sides of the story that that this cult you know since the leader's insane, he's got a little bit of the Charles Manson you know it's got a little bit of the Charles Manson brainwashed to it <laughs> but it's also got you know the thing about the thing about a cult is uh, anything that's a cult is basically just a new religion you know every religion right. that we had started out as a cult at one time so there's also you know they also portray 
most of the people in it as either being naive kids or, you know, being very well and, you know, um, Chekhov's girlfriend is very, you know, she's very well intentioned. Even if they're going to steal the Enterprise, they're still, you know, they're still, they're not like evil. In, the only one with evil intent is, you know, their leader, and he's just out of his cotton picking, <laughs> bald headed mind. But, now, did um, you watch this as the enhanced one, or did you watch this as no, the? Oh, okay. I watched this in the my my source of enhanced ones is dried up, so that's okay. That that means uh-huh. in these shows you get to do the enhanced ones, and I get to and I get to hit up the old school ones. Well, it was pretty sweet the enhanced one on this, because again, most of the most of the big improvements come at the beginning of the episode when the the Enterprise is chasing chasing that ship. But, yeah, but it's cool. They created a whole new ship. It looked really dynamic, and you know, it swerved and bobbed and weaved as it was trying to escape and everything. And you know, you had said something about them being like suicidal. I, I don't know that they were you know actually like you know we want to die, but I I kind of look at it the same way as you know. Say there's a bunch of young, you know, pot smoking hippie kids, you know, and they get chased by the cops. You know, what are they going to try to do? You know, sometimes they'll try to flee and they'll drive at, you know, insane speeds. And a lot of times they'll end up, even wind up dead, but it's not like they set out to die. You know, it's because no, they were but... trying to outrun the cops. They, you know, they got into an accident. I kind of see the same thing here to where maybe they seriously thought that their little souped up hot rod ship could outrun the Enterprise, you know? And so they pushed it beyond the point of endurance to where it actually blowed up, you know, even despite Kirk calling them and saying, hey, dumbass, you know, you're going to blow your ship up if you keep running it like that. Maybe they were like, ah, you know, that Herbert doesn't know nothing. So, yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of how I took it. But Um, something I read said that the original spaceship they had in the original version was just the Tholian ship. You know, from where, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Tholian web just kind of reworked and like it was, it had like some extra pieces on it or something. It had like some extra, like, sh- shuttlecraft nacelles stuck to oh. the side of it, and that was about, you know, pointed up <laughs> instead of down. But, um, I thought there was an ironic scene with Mr. Sulu getting hit on by a, a girl, and <laughs> yeah. she's, you know, they'll give him the, what he, and he goes, How do you know what I want? <laughs> I don't think that uh, young lady was going to give Mr. Sulu what he wanted. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, Chekhov's girlfriend there a moment ago. I actually like that scene a lot, and I like what it what it adds to Chekhov's backstory and all that sort of thing. But my biggest note on this one was uh, I like the original idea. And I think it was DC Fontana's idea, if I remember right. But this was the episode where it was supposed to be, instead of Chekhov's girlfriend, it was supposed to be Dr. McCoy's daughter. Oh. Was was one of these hippie people. And I guess the original working name of this episode was uh, supposed to be Joanna, which is, I guess that's McCoy's daughter's name. And she was going to be one of these hippies and maybe even get involved with Kirk or something like that. And it was going to add you know, all this tension to the, to the episode, but it was also, 
you know, it's going to be more of a McCoy centric episode, you know, filling in some of the backstory and, and motivations of, and what of Dr. McCoy. And as much as I kind of like the episode as it stands, I think it would have been a lot stronger for that if they had gone in that direction, because, you know, off the top of my head, I can't really think of too many episodes that that are you know mccoy centric for one but really that even shade in mccoy you know what i mean this one was like spock and Chekhov centric yeah kirk played a played a back you know backseat role in this and uh uhura wasn't even on the bridge you know it was weird it was it was almost like maybe some people might have been on summer vacation and and you know they they said okay Takai you, you know we'll bring you in for this one scene where you chat up the girl and right but um yeah that's right because what's her name what is that woman's name that was filling in for her in this one I always have trouble remembering it what is her Lieutenant name is. Palmer Palmer that's it yeah yeah and Palmer I hardly even know her <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's weird that Vulcan harp. It's basically like a harp, and then when you touch the little dials at the bottom, it sounds like a drawbar organ. There has got to be some S- Star Trek nerd out there who knows how to make iPhone apps. <laughs> who get together and, like, you know, make a, make a Vulcan harp iPhone app, you know, where you pass your hand over the, the little round thing at the bottom and it makes a makes a little draw bar noise all the sounds are out there some i'm just putting it out there somebody really should make or an ipad or whatever you know it would be really fun to have your own vulcan harp the one thing my only like um blooper thing on this is did you notice with when when they go to adam when he was dead on they do a like zoom in on him and the apple on the ground or the the weird fruit you could his finger does a total like involuntary one finger does like a twitch curl up and uncurl when he's supposed to be dead it's i I watched it like three or four times it's like very obvious so you gotta gotta check it out huh moving no i didn't i didn't i didn't catch that i always i'm I don't know why, but I have a thing for whenever somebody's, I see somebody lying dead on the screen, I just focus on them. I'm the asshole who, like, doesn't get distracted by the special effects go- or the, you know, true story going off to the side. I'm watching to see if that dead person's gonna breathe. It's <laughs> gonna wink, open up one eye and look around, or, or twitch <laughs> their foot, or, like, try to, like, twitch their nose because it itches. Fart. I love that shit. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can't see that, but you know, yeah, maybe a fold of clothing will lift up, you know, subtly, and you know, that <laughs> there's some gas escaping. Anything, man. Anything. I'm looking for anything. I like the. Uh, and I hit pay dirt here. <laughs> I like when they they keep showing the hippies and they're doing their jam things. That one girl. I'm sorry, but her instrument. It, it, it's nothing more than a bicycle rim. Yes. Did you notice that? Yes. She's playing the spokes of a bicycle rim. It, it's it's pretty ridiculous, really. I don't know how you'd get any sort of like low budget harmonic. Yeah, very very low budget. And I would swear there's that part where Severin sends out the the hypersonic signal to kill everybody. 
and you get the scene of you know there's the corridor of the enterprise and everybody uh -huh. falls down there's the bridge and everybody falls down then they show sick bay and mccoy just kind of you know arg and falls to the ground but they show dr chapel or excuse me nurse chapel and she she very dramatically she's walking along and she does this little like twirl flip maneuver and falls crashing to the floor and dropping the the plate of shit that she's carrying i would swear that that's stock footage from another episode it, it could be i can't think of what episode it was but as soon as i saw that i thought that's from another episode but I, maybe somebody out there can help me out with that but i would swear that that same scene with the the same fall and everything is in another episode unless that's just how she falls when she falls down well the I'd... footage if i recall was a little darker than the other footage too so it might actually yeah very well be from i'm telling you this one was just maybe like hacked together at the last minute i mean another... what other episode did they use something to to knock out sickbay i just don't remember is it the one with khan or something it, it could be a whole bunch of them yeah i, I can't remember um, i'd swear that that's a stock shot from somewhere else but you just reminded me of a great moment where, where when it first goes on and spock hears it ahead of everybody else and he's like reacting and kirk's like what is it spock i don't hear it and then kirk does his famous like oh <laughs> i love that man he does the arms up in the air mouth in a perfect o and just like knees buckling inward <laughs> i love it and it was and once, even... you know, once again, Spock's like the superhuman one, but it's Kirk that manages to crawl to the button to, to turn it off. You know, uh -huh. everybody else is agonized and dying in pain, but, you well, know, Kirk's the man, so he Sh makes it Shatner the slipped the director of 50 to make sure that happened. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, that's about all I got for this one. I was... Uh... But ultimately, what did you think, though? I mean, what... I loved it, man. Okay. I it, I was having a riot because hey, I've never. I mean, it's. I mean, how unreal is that? You know, watching a, a Star Trek episode with the original cast that I've never seen before. You know, I kept catching myself. You know, going, oh my god, I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> I know how it's going to end, but I don't know. I didn't know how any of it played out. I did think it was kind of obvious. You know, the, the the little foreshadowing where, you know, where Chekhov and his girlfriend are in the auxiliary control yes. area. And he, she was just like, oh, what's this place? And he could have been like, ah, it's just a storage closet or something, you know, with a computer terminal. But he's like, no, this controls the whole ship. So I was just like, oh, geez, well, I see where this is going. <laughs> and... And I also thought it was a little odd that, like, at one point, Kirk's like, he can self-destruct, you know, he can destroy the ship from down there, and he's like, he's got total control. It's like, there's, no, you need to do that. You know, it's even been, you know, started in, in by this time that, you know, established that you have to give an audio, a verbal command to to blow up the Enterprise. So I thought that was a little little strange <laughs> but otherwise i it was it was awesome it was <laughs> everything i thought it was going to be and worse i don't know if awesome would be the word i would use but i i enjoyed it i enjoyed it much more 
than I thought that I would. But, you know, of course, when you go into something thinking, oh, my God, this well, is just going to just totally suck. But and as it an, doesn't. As then. an episode, it wasn't a bad episode, but as an experience, it was awesome. If I want the next time I watch it, it won't be quite as awesome. Probably <laughs> it'll be it'll be into the like, yeah, that was pretty good back into that. But. Well, it feels like the first time. <laughs> oh, God. Well, let's take a little break and we'll come back and we'll talk some comic books. Yes. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Long time back when the Man found out what he had to do. Found he had to eat and he found he had to drink. And a long time later he found he had to think. Oh, yes, think. This is Matt Bush, and you guys are listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. And actually, now that I'm here, it's the Three True Freaks podcast. All right, we're back, and it's time for DC Comics Star Trek section of the show. And we are winding up <laughs> the alternate universe, the mirror universe saga here with uh, issue number f- 15, which is part of the 50-year DC anniversary, 1985, as it says down in the corner where the UPC symbol should be. And um, this is the June 1985 issue with um, Mike Barr as a writer and... Art uh, once again by Sutton and Villagran, and we have a cover with the Klingons and Romulans both holding, you know, their phasers to the the head of a kneeling Kirk who looks vaguely like David Hasselhoff. Odd. So this one is called "The Beginning of the End," and uh, after failing to kill um, Captain Kirk, the evil Captain Blaine offers himself up to the Empire Council for execution, for, for failure. Instead, they offer him revenge and a secret weapon. Meanwhile, Kirk and uh, the two Spocks are forming a very uneasy alliance with the Klingons and the Romulans to uh, team up against the Empire and um, and finally end the tyranny in the galaxy. And, you know, David's a little sketchy about the Romulans and the Klingons, being not much better than the Empire, and Kirk is agrees, but says, "Well, this is really what we've got to do in the short term here. It's this is what is going to benefit us." So, uh, meanwhile, uh, in a very convenient plot device, uh, McCoy and Savick are taking the um, evil counterparts of the Enterprise crew out of their stasis chamber and shooting them up with tranquilizers so they can put them into another chamber. And that gives... Because (laughs) it's very convenient for the story because at that point, (laughs) the evil Savick awakens right after McCoy's talked about how 
They have to be careful because some people react to the sedative differently than others. The evil Savik awakes, knocks out her counterpart and switches places and decides, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hang around in the background till I get a chance to throw a monkey wrench into the into the works. So now we find the the Klingons and the Romulans are uh they're planning to betray Kirk once they beat the Empire and uh and just you know get rid of get rid of him which you know that's pretty predictable so Kirk is uh Kirk meanwhile has has told these guys that he's devised a field that that'll just basically kill the power to any Empire ship that comes within the the range of its effect and uh yeah his and the Klingon and Romulan ships you know they'll have equipment installed on board to counteract the effect of it so they'll still have their power so okay good plan and uh it's exactly what happens the empire fleet like 85 percent of the empire fleet comes blasting out of you know warp drive and to attack and uh they're immediately without power and dead in space so um you know this this seems to be a crushing defeat but kirk you know knows that it's too easy too easy so of course right on cue uh blaine comes out and he's got his secret weapon it's another excelsior class ship but <sighs> you know as it gears up to fire it basically just sort of shorts out and uh and is you know fried and that was because when when the okay when the good excelsior ship showed up they were probably still working on it and when they scanned it scotty changed around a bunch of the chips so that in case they did have one of these down the line it would be all messed up i don't know scotty did it scotty messes up another excelsior (laughs) so um so meanwhile evil savik at this point has not been able to figure out how you know how to do anything except almost knock out Dr. McCoy desperately wakes up the evil Kirk to uh help her take the ship back over but you know he in a fit of evil paranoia he shoots her dead so um and he's then he's nerve pinched by the real savik who's you know woken up since then and uh so now the Klingons and Romulans decide it's their their time to strike but Kirk of course has anticipated this so all this all the equipment they had on installed on their ship to protect them from the device then the, you know basically Kirk uses that as a kill switch and and knocks all them out for 24 hours and um so now okay so now everything's pretty much done but we're going to get into the you know how we resolve all these uh strings that we've got started here um david's given the empire fleet and apparently like the crews on these ships are quickly um you know get you know changing sides and deciding they'll follow david so he's getting the whole empire fleet as his rebel fleet and um the the um all the evil you know mirror universe twins are put into a shuttle and just sort of fired into empire territory where they're basically blasted like clay pigeons into uh dust um bearded spock and marlena stay behind to help david as you know as our crew heads back to their home dimension 
and there's even a nice moment with David and Kirk where David, you know, says, my other dad was a dick. Can I call you dad? (laughs) (laughs) And that wraps up the Mirror Universe saga. Star Trek saga. And I didn't think it was a disappointing ending. I just didn't, you know, I was sad to see it end, and it was, this was just sort of tying everything up, so I don't think this was the strongest of right. the Mirror Universe comics, but I still enjoyed it. Um, the art, Do you think it wrapped up too fast? Because that's what I felt. It, it wrapped up really fast, really yeah. easy, and, like, big time. I mean, they did it by killing a lot of people and just generally like coming up with all these sort of just magic it's like oh really so now we have a a a way to just kill any spaceship around you know a ship now that'll come in handy in the future you know why haven't (laughs) they thought of that earlier wow it's amazing what they think of it in like just a couple of hours you know right so there was a lot of very convenient stuff happening happening to wrap this up and Honestly, I don't know what the hurry would be to to wrap it up. <laughs> right. It's the the mirror universe is pretty good, and you got wide open possibilities up until Star Trek Four happens. So you can do anything short of killing off any of the characters, or having too dramatic of a anything traumatic happen in their life. But you know, I mean, you could do all, and you could kill all kinds of characters because you have mirror versions of them. So there's the only, yeah. I don't know why there is such a hurry to go home. The only thing I can think of in that regard is that you know, you got to remember the days this was when this came out was that this is the days when the comic companies still kind of frowned at the idea of of you know huge arcs story you know arcs, hu- yeah, yeah huge storylines that would go on for you know a, a, a whole long run of time that that's the only thing i can think of is that maybe somebody at, at dc you know was was nervous about letting this go on too long because once this storyline is resolved yeah, if memory serves we go into a a, a long period of one-offs you know oh, okay and you know i mean story you know, story elements continue from from issue to issue, but for the most part, you know, un- unless I'm just totally misremembering, because you know, from here on, I-, I think I only stick with the title about another year. Let me see, what issue is this? Fifteen? Yeah, I think I think about another year, maybe year and a half, is as long as I stuck with it, and I remember it just being like one you know one one shot after another you know one would be like a scotty story and one would be an ahura story and stuff like that and they were interesting but it just didn't keep my interest because it wasn't a saga like this so i think you know i think this was a really good story but i think they could have either um made it even bigger than it was for the final issue of the story or spread it out another you know a whole another issue because i i think I think when you combine it with the fact that everything wraps up in this one and then it ra- wraps up so conveniently too, then it, I don't know, for me it was kind of an unsatisfying ending, I have to be honest. I, I enjoyed it, but I just felt it could have it been better. It could have been bigger. 
You know what I mean? Well, it's big, but it should have been stretched out. You don't get to appreciate the bigness. I mean, the entire Empire right. fleet, you know. I, I mean, on page 18, there's that great, weird, almost 90-degree angle jogged frame of all the fleet just sort of lined up and and coming with, you know, explosions and on, um, on the bridge of uh, that one ship. And... It, it, right. it looks awesome, and then on the next page, you got the other Excelsior coming in at sort of a Wrath of Khan angle. Yeah. And, uh, so you've got all these sort of epic battles, but they're just sort of like it's like, ooh, all the ships are here, they're just dead in space, <laughs> you know. And uh, there could, yeah, they could have definitely stretched this out and made it more. They could have done more with the whole Savic being the evil Savic being on the ship and, you know, being able to, uh, I thought it was kind of crappy that they, uh, that they killed off like evil Kirk and crew. Well, I was going to come back to that because you, you said in your synopsis, and I, I guess I didn't really make this impression on me, but you said that, that evil Kirk kills evil Savic. I, I guess you're probably right. I didn't really see it that way. But also, I had a question in my notes of, do you think that, uh, you know, Evil Kirk and his crew at this, you know, on page 24 at the very end of the story, you know, do you think they're really dead? Because it makes, the way it's drawn makes it look like the shuttle they're in is destroyed. It looks like it's vaporized, basically. Yeah. There's like, but you I, see one of its engines, like, flying uh, uh, as the yeah. only chunk of it left but this being comics and all right. i i you know i i kind of think that you know if they had wanted to bring them back in the future which i i don't think that they do but if they wanted to i'm sure that they could have come up with you know well you know we we shot to disable or you know we blew the nacelles off of it but you know we didn't really kill anybody but so i almost wonder if they did leave it I mean, it, it looks like they're blown up. It really does. Yeah, it looks but... like they just, like, vapor. Is that Kirk? Yep. <laughs> yep. And he even does a dramatic fire. No, I'm Kirk. Captain James T. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah, that's that's how I interpreted it. That's Evil how or... I interpreted it. Evil or not. Could you set your your mirror self up to to be killed? I would have I would be afraid that that would cause some sort of cosmic bad what's karma. This? Yeah, like where yeah. you would have to like die sometime soon. Well, right. I assume that these other branches of reality, quantum physics style, go on their own road or whatever. So you're gonna you'll follow your own path. But I would yeah I wouldn't want to kill my mirror no matter how how much of an asshole he was. <laughs> Hell, I'd probably identify with him more. <laughs> He's probably a nice guy, actually, in the mirror universe. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, what else did I have for this one? The the typical... I, I just... Page 8, where... You know, the I, I guess this is the Klingon Emperor calls up on the phone and, and the Ow. Klingons and the and the Romulans are all there together and they basically lay their plans of, you know, let's help Kirk out, but, you know, the moment that, you know, the Empire is defeated, let's fuck Kirk over, you know, and we can take over the galaxy. That was enough of a cliche, but then 
You've got the one that really kind of annoyed me because it's such a comic book villains thing. You know, where you get two super villains together and they plot to take down the superheroes. And then you always, always, always get the obligatory uh, thought balloons where Dr. Doom and I don't know, like the Red Skull are Mm -hmm. both thinking the same thing of, you know, well, as soon as our alliance has ended, I'm going to fuck you over. But good. And both the Romulans and the Klingons do that. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I hate that shit. I hate, I, you know, I, I, I know, I totally realize it, it's because I'm a victim of having read, you know, way too many comics. comics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, for, for over 30 years. I know that's what it is. But I, I re- I'm so tired of comic book cliches. There's just too damn many of them. And this, this one... Because that's what it came... It'd be different if it was like a Star Trek cliche. You know, I can kind of forgive that because this is Star Trek. Yeah. But this is putting a comic book cliche on top of Star Trek, and I didn't... I just didn't really appreciate it. You know what I mean? Even even if it is sort of half-assed in character, which I guess it kind of is, it still just drove me a little bit crazy. It's actually... It's it's actually unnecessary because... Right. The, the, you know, I mean, you don't really even need to know that they're planning to betray each other. If everybody's betraying each other the way they are in here, you know that they're definitely betraying each other. You really don't. The, the thought balloons are superfluous, but they fill up the rest of that frame, I guess. So, And someday I shall be honored to execute, execute you, savage. <laughs> Enjoy our friendship while you may, inferior. It will not last long. Yeah. Now, it, from the uh, calling it like I see it department, I just got to be honest. I thought the art was terrible in this issue. I, I really it was did. Hit and miss. Like, it was hit and miss. I like how he draws Klingons. Uh, they look suitably shaggy and 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 roughshod, but you know, yeah. I, the spaceships were okay, but for some reason, all the Klingon ships were oddly like kind of short and like. Stumpy. I found I that think weird. All the ships look really wonky in this one. There was one in particular. Oh, it's on page eighteen. It's the last panel. It's it's on that page that you cited where the uh-huh. where the Excelsior, the the evil Excelsior is coming in right. at a canted angle. All right, and that last panel at the bottom, the Excelsior that's on the right hand side. Yeah, it's it's something's this, wrong with well, the, the saucers tipped forward or so it's tipped yeah. forward at like a 40 degree angle yeah, i don't know just, if it it's yeah it's bad perspective it's not good i i really thought the the art was weak in this one and this is the one that really needed to have the strongest art because this is what we've waited for is a big ass battle with you know you've got the you've got the whole klingon fleet the whole romulan fleet and the whole Basically, it's the Starfleet, even though it's the evil version of it. So you've got all these awesome ship designs. Well, and you've got Kirk leading an army of Klingons and Romulans against Starfleet ship yeah. ships. So that's a pretty neat thing to see that you don't you don't see that every day. It's But it's just not done well. Yeah. I, every one of the ship scenes where there's more than just a couple of ships, they all look way too cluttered and... and I it like just, some of that, like on page 17. I like that of all of them just cramped, even though it's it does suffer from that, like, everybody's sort of in a straight line, and that would not be how an attack fleet would work because 
all the right. ships in the back couldn't fire or else they'd just be blasting the people <laughs> asses of the ones you know it's like it's like rush hour traffic but i right. like i like how it looks and but and now that now that we're talking about it and looking at it it looks like a lot of the the ship artwork was unfinished like it was just sort of outlines yeah. that he dressed up a little bit but i still like the general way that it's composed and and I, I I just maybe it's just because I like the way he draws ships a lot better than the way he draws people. Sometimes sometimes he gets the I think the big problem with the people here is it's characters, you know. Right. I mean, you know, I mean he's never drawn Kirk like Shatner, but that's okay. I think we've discussed that before. You know, it's just sort of the generic Kirk. You know, he's sort of a amalgam of old Kirk, new Kirk, and probably, you know, the kind of face that, that the artist likes to draw, but as long as he looks like, I mean, because even in those, I know you hate him, but the, the Whitman, you know, or the old Gold <laughs> Key, you know, Star Trek, I mean, sometimes Kirk doesn't look remotely that, but he looks like the leading guy sort of thing, so it flies, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's the, I didn't see it, the art as being especially any more hit and miss <laughs> than it usually is in this one, you know? Yeah, because usually, usually I can, you know, usually the people are okay, but usually for me, it's it's the space scenes that make up for any shortcomings with the people or the backgrounds or the, you know, the, the control panels, that sort of thing. And this time, I, I thought it was equally weak all around. I, I didn't think that the space scenes helped or or saved it i actually thought in a lot of ways that some of those space scenes hurt the overall issue because they just they looked weak but i it's just my opinion but i i just was i was disappointed by the by the battle overall because this is the point i was waiting to see is this this big hellacious battle and it's clunky it's it's so squished together and there's just too much stuff on the screen at once you know what i mean well it's really funny because even with it all like too much stuff happening at once when i first was just looking through this before i started because i usually just sort of flip through it then i read it then i then i let it gel for a little while and then i write my synopsis you know mm -hmm. and that's how i weed out whatever extraneous details or something but when i first flipped through this i'm like Ooh, this is going to be a long one to synopsize because there's a lot of stuff ha happening, and a lot of stuff does happen, but it wasn't. It wasn't as far as like an outline of the story goes. It's one of my shorter synopses for mm -hmm. for this comic, which was which was very strange, you know. So, yeah, it could have been executed a lot differently. But overall, and, and I it's guess, not. I guess it is disappointing because I real I was really digging, and 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 I don't want to sound I don't know sound like I wasn't digging this one, but at the at, at the same at the same point, it just sort of, you know, it, it, but at this point, any new developments had to stop happening, you know. Right. So that's what I was liking. I was liking. It's like. Oh my God, we had no Spocks. Now we have two Spocks. Hey, it's right. David. You know and. Oh, it's you know it was all really interesting thing, and unexpected things happening, 
And here it's not really interesting or unexpected, really. It's just necessary things to wrap everything up. Right. Which is, yeah, disappointing. I mean, overall, it's not that I didn't like it. I, I did like it. I, I just felt that the resolution was a little weak. And part of the problem, I think, is that while I really liked how this issue uh, above, uh, you know, possibly all the others so far in, in this series really spotlighted Kirk and Spock being very intelligent and, and, and planning, you know, having a lot of foreplanning for being two or three steps betrayal. ahead of their, their enemies. Yeah. yeah. At all points. I love that. That's classic Kirk. That's you know, their specialty. Kirk, yeah. Out thinking his opponents and, and having, you know, because I, I, I liked the device they came up with to render the fleet, you know, inert. But what I thought was even cl more clever than that was that all the devices that they'd helped install on all the Klingon and Romulan ships. Had a kill switch, too. Yeah, they rigged them. I love that. I thought that was brilliant. But as much as I enjoyed all of that, I think well, not only did they rig them, but they, they were like sold it to the Klingons as like, but the Klingons are like, but that'll kill us too. But listen to what we're going to do. Right. <laughs> we're going to give you the technology to counteract it. <laughs> right. Lucky dogs. Yeah. And by, by blowing those, maybe they had them rigged to blow because then they didn't want to leave that technology behind when they left too. So yeah, well, it actually, I don't know. Kirk was sort of use to, to use a gross analogy, which surprise, surprise. Kirk uses this, this dimension like a uh, old con tossed it like a used condom. He just <laughs> ran roughshod over it. He was like, it was. The, I mean, this it, it brought out the best and a little bit of the worst of the of the um, good Kirk because he just he killed. He's responsible for the deaths of a lot of people. There was a you know ships blown up and and all sorts of chaos. I mean, he ran into this universe and totally turned it on its head you know and then right. and then leaves woohoo bye <laughs> sorry about your empire and he's gone which i love it <laughs> i like that idea i did too i i think the disappointment ultimately comes though from uh like i say you know the art not being that hot from from it being it just feels rushed like it was a rush to to wrap it all up and get it all done but also, there's two huge stretches here. The The two things that were just too... Uh, it was a stretch too far for me, credibility-wise, was when the evil Excelsior shows up. That, yeah. I just couldn't buy it. That, that, to me, was... That was just a little bit beyond. You know, because the, the comment is made here, Kirk says, another Excelsior? But how? The Empire probed our show, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And Spock says, bullshit, bullshit, remembering bullshit. the parallel advances of our universe uh, and theirs, Jim, it is logical to assume that they had already begun construction of an NX-2000. And I'm thinking, no, That's no. That's the exact opposite of actually what they were saying earlier, which was like yeah. the savage universe is not advanced as far as us because of their savagery. Mm -hmm. has actually held them back a little bit is what is the impression you got, you know, that that since our universe had followed the path of peace it, that our technology had advanced 
Yeah. Because weren't the Imperials rate. all excited and everything when to, to get the Excelsior? They they were like, wow, look at this advanced ship. We don't have anything like right. this. Didn't they say shit like that? Yeah, that's and that's why Scotty did the little fiddle fuckery that he did. But whatever. It's Yeah, it is too convenient. They, I mean, they should have had some sort of pointy version of it, you know? Or right. Or, you know, a version of the Excelsior with a bad goatee or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean... How how long have they been there, would you figure, in the whole course of this story? Maybe a week at most? 15 minutes? I don't know. Not long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't <laughs> slap a starship together that fast. I mean, they would have had to have had the ship done, except for, like, the upholstery or something, to yeah. whip it out to the service that fast. So I just didn't buy that. And then the other one that is just as much a complete stretch too far was at the end it's it's funny because as i was reading this um there's that shot on page 22 they're looking out the window at the imperial fleet and kirk says to david he says well david we've uh you wanted a fleet now you've got one and david's saying well there's still so much to do we need a base we need supplies and as i'm turning the page i'm thinking wait a minute you you can't just take that fleet you know it, it's not like you killed everybody that was on board yeah, what no, about the ships full of people with phasers yeah. so you turn the page and he says uh and you know i, I was literally thinking that thought as i right. turned the page as and was the, and, the writer <laughs> and the next page he says uh but i don't think we'll have to worry about the crews lots of the empire crewmen have already volunteered to switch sides i'm just going no Really? No, 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 no. So you've been no. talking to all these guys in the meantime. Yeah. I mean, mm. what are they calling you up? You know, they're 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 literally phoning in on the on the comm, going, uh, oh, is "Hey, da you know, is, uh, is David there? Hi, David. <laughs> yeah, you're the resistance leader, right? Can we be on your side? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I just didn't I didn't buy it at all. I mean, granted. You know, he had the the writer had to come up with something, I guess, for for people like me that would think about. Wait a minute, these ships aren't empty. You mean anybody but... with some brain cells to rub together <laughs> would think of? Come on. But still, I went that's... through the same process that you did on on the turning of the pages. Yeah, that one just doesn't it doesn't jibe with me. You know, yeah, strand them like... on some planet somewhere. You know, send them back in shuttlecraft or something. But don't. Don't insult my intelligence by telling me that, well, they're just going to defect and be on our side now. No, I don't think so. I just don't buy that shit at all. So, Well, you don't so think that, once, once those ships all get power and everything that there also isn't a, 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 the entire Klingon and Romulan fleet there, too. So you're right. going to have that to deal with. And they're going to be powered up in 24 hours because they only turned them off for 24 hours. You know... I, I, I like I say I don't think that this is revisited. I'm, I hope I'm wrong though, and that it is because you know, this is another one of those where this could turn into an even more awesome story because of exactly what you said earlier. Kirk comes in, does stirs a bunch does of shit, and yeah. goes away, and, and then it. says, "Well, I'll see you assholes later," and splits. Screw and you guys. This I'm going home. <laughs> this universe could then descend from this point into total fucking chaos. Yeah, it could become even more totalitarian because it's just in shreds and like David right. David could become drunk with power and like just 
slaughter everybody in the starships except for a skeleton crew and be like, okay, right. now you guys are driving the ship, yes sir, and yeah, turn into a, the, the overlord. It could easily happen because David's the one character, to my mind, that on appearances didn't seem to be any different than mm-hmm. his, you know, our universe, you know, our yeah, universe. Yeah, he was an thing. idealistic youth in both right. universes. So what if it was all for show? Or what if we right. just didn't see enough of him to see, no, he's just as much an evil bastard as everybody yeah, else. Yeah, no, he was just being opportunistic and playing whatever part he had to play to, to get right. his, his fleet of ships. And now he's maneuvered himself into power. It could very well be that. That would be a great story where where our Kirk facilitated this guy coming in and being more evil than this universe, anything this universe had seen to this point. Yep. For all he knows, I mean, he's the son of Kirk, and he's you know? smarter than the evil Kirk. The evil Kirk's kind of dumb in this one, right? Relatively dumb, you know. He gets his emotions get the best of him, and it's his undoing every time. I think that could have been an awesome story. That could have been a totally awesome story. Because, yeah, I mean, this this does end very, very much like an old episode. Well, well, our job here is done. Let's take off. And in the meantime, you know, like you say, anybody with a with a half a brain can stop and think for a minute. Wait a minute. He just eh? ruined an entire <laughs> universe. <laughs> yeah. Not that it was the greatest universe that... in the yeah. start with, but <laughs> yeah, he just came in and threw a bowling ball through the whole Your thing. Your God's a computer. Yep. Bye. Ha ha, see ya. <laughs> Chew on that. Beat me up. We'll be back in a couple thousand years to see how you assholes worked with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I know. It's uh But no, I, I enjoyed it. I'm curious where it goes from here now. I, I have a I have a vague recollection, but only vague, so Excellent. Well, we'll find out soon enough. Some form of space madness we've never heard of. Drop.
Spock, your watch. Find a second in command named Mr. Spock. He's an alien fella, not an ordinary crewman. He's got green blood, but he's still half-human. The ladies may dig his pointed ears, but he only gets a date every seven years. Don't get him wrong, cause he's not sulking. His mom's from Earth, and his dad's from Vulcan. Got shiny black hair and a matching tricorder. My boy's a little dumber, Kirk's a little shorter. He keeps his cool when he's in a clinch. To put your lights out with the Vulcan nerve pinch. Got a Federation sweater and shiny boots. All the Enterprise ladies think it's ears are cute. But he's got no emotion, so it just doesn't matter. He just reads the sentence and records his data. his life to help a plague-infested ship. My son, surrounded by those horrible lepers. He threatens to destroy their future on Star Trek The Next Generation. And now we're going to go into the even farther into the Trek future with Star Trek The Next Generation and the next episode in line, Haven, and I'm going to hand it off to Scott to tell you what it's all about. Oh, goody. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this episode, Haven, this is a weird one because we're doing these episodes by the order that they're on the DVDs, and I think that's more or less the official order that they're supposed to be viewed in it may even be the order that they were more or less uh aired in run on yeah aired in and you know run on television however wow you know if you actually get to paying attention to the production numbers and production dates on these they're all over the place you know starting with this one because this episode was actually the very next one after oh what was that episode where yar code of honor that one where yar fought the 
fought that guy's right. wife for the honor of being his new consort or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. That, that cheesy one that we watched. Yeah, the come to Jamaica. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was the one. This was actually the very next one after that, which kind of explains a couple of wonky things that, that happen in this one, I think, or, or sort of half-ass explains them anyway. But uh, this one originally aired the week of November 30th, 1987. And uh, getting right into this one, synopsis is at the planet Haven, Picard and his crew meet up with Loxana Troy, Deanna's mother, who blusters uh, aboard when her late husband's best friends, the Millers, insist on seeing the childhood genetic bonding vows consummated between Deanna and their son, Wyatt. Deanna dutifully agrees and comes to find Wyatt a good companion, much to Imzadi Riker's confusion. Wyatt is puzzled because Deanna is not the blonde woman he has seen in visions since childhood. The wedding plans uh, go on despite the mother, mother-in-law's, it's actually mother's-in-law, mother, mother's-in-law's comical feuding until a number of plague-ridden Torellians? Uh, Torellians, yeah. Tarellians, Long thought dead show up at Haven. Wyatt, a doctor, finds the blonde girl of his visions is a Torellian. She had pictured him in her dreams for years as well without knowing why. Wyatt apologizes to Deanna and shocks his parents by following his perceived destiny at last, joining the Torellians to help them and his love find a cure. Picard is glad to get his counselor back and to see Loaxana's flustering flirtations end. And that's out of the uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Companion. You know, not the best synopsis. I should have written my own up, to be honest with you. The way it was worded with, you know, she's not the blonde that he expected. Sounded like maybe his expectations were too high from, from like, internet porn or something. (laughs) But it also reminded me of, like, the the Jewish wedding, you know? Yeah. Where Loxana Troy is the, you know, she's the you know, a chosen bride of the right, you know, and dark haired, but, you know, but the son, you know, he'd really like to have the nice blonde chicksa. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, you know, that's really his dream is really his dream girl. But um, my biggest note on this one and my apologies to the actor that played Wyatt, if I'm totally reading this dude wrong. But uh, I just got to call it like I see it. I think this episode would work a hell of a lot better if he wasn't really all that into Deanna because he's just not really all that into girls. Because that's just the impression the dude gives me in this episode. I'm sorry, but that's just how I see it. I got it. I got the impression from him is like, where's Wesley Crusher? I don't see Wesley Crusher. Oh, there's Wesley Crusher. It's just a different guy. (laughs) That's what I got out of Wyatt. But, oh, you know what? Wesley wasn't even in this he one, wasn't was he? wasn't in it at all. Oh, damn. I didn't even catch that till now. <laughs> oh, maybe maybe this isn't such a horrible episode after all. It's another epi- it, it was. It's another tease because they almost got rid of Troy for you. Uh, she was almost almost written off. But here's the question. Can Troy, can, just, can she just leave Starfleet like that? Can she just go, well, Captain, I'm getting married. He's like, are you going to be staying with us? And she's like, no. And he's like, okay, well, good luck. And it's like, really? You can just walk away from Because if you were in, like, the military or even, like, the Peace Corps or something like that, and you were like, well, I'm getting married. I'm done. Okay, well, see you later, you know. See, I get the impression 
Uh, it's going to be forever before we get there, but in it was either the sixth season or the very last season, she goes through some sort of training to basically cement her place as like an actual Starfleet officer, and that's when she actually starts wearing a standard Starfleet uniform, which she actually looks damn good in, I must say. It's the only time I ever thought she really was attractive in the whole series is toward the end when she finally starts wearing a standard outfit. So she, she, my impression was that she's not really Starfleet, if you know what I mean. She's, she's serving in almost like a, um, adjunct uh, type. Yeah, like a support position. You know what I mean? Uh Like, uh, almost like a, like a DOD or something, you know, because she's, you know, she's the ship shrink. She's, so she's not like a combat officer or, you know, like a, like in a vital position of, you know, running this or, or bossing these people around. She's more, you know, she's the, the head shrinker. So that's just an impression, but I, I think that would allow for this thing where she's just going to do. But then again, we will see that later on with other characters like Worf, you know, where, you know, there's that storyline way, way down the road where something's going on with his people and, and Picard calls him on it. And he says, look, you, you can't be doing this shit. You know, you're a Starfleet officer. And then Worf's like, well, fuck you guys then. And he quits. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they can just up and quit, I guess. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, going by our modern military standards, I don't think that an officer can just up and quit like that. But I mean, this is a couple hundred years in the future and it's not yeah. really... A military, you know, it's it's a quasi-military right, right. thing, but it's not no, true. like the, the UN or something, you yeah. know. Yeah. I always pictured it. Well, I think I might have liked this episode a little more than you did. I didn't hate it. Well, if you didn't um, hate it, then you liked it better. Yeah, more yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I like Luxana Troy. She's like, I, the, I like the obnoxious characters. There seem to be, like, this show has a wealth of obnoxious characters who come in just to piss Picard off and he needs it he needs that I mean Loxana Troy he's he this this whole episode is Picard trying his best to be friendly because it's Troy's mom right and and I I like the comedy of that situation and even some of the physical comedy that that uh that he had to perform like with carrying her bags and then the lurch guy would just pick it right up and and you know him being accommodating and friendly and then at the end you know she did the whole like your captain's very attracted to me and left and then you see him and he's just like oh i fucking hate her i'm just <laughs> glad she's off my fucking shit you know you know you can see it in his face he's just like had been like straining himself to the you know because he could yell at Q right he couldn't yell at Troy's mom he could yell at Troy's mom but he was not about to so it was pretty funny to watch him sort of trapped in the rock in the hard place with her just you know hammering hammering on him and uh and I I would actually have enjoyed seeing seeing her in the naked ceremony well, yeah, I think you do see her bare ass later on in another episode where the you know the whole wedding thing comes up again not uh, not with Deanna but with I think it's with her actually With her yeah she marries yeah. some weird creepy ambassador guy Yeah or that's right like that. yeah he's really like creepier he's like a head in a box or something weird yeah. like that 
And she, <laughs> she, uh, I remember her walking in naked at the end of that one, and I think they show her bare ass if I remember right. But I, I, I it's been a while since I've seen that one. But Gene Roddenberry wanted to be like, see that? That's mine. I'm Gene <laughs> Roddenberry. God damn it. Got some good notes for this one though. Yeah. Right at the beginning, there was the thing where uh, I think it's after the first commercial. We come back, and uh, you know, it shows the ship doing the the flyby, and Picard's doing his you know captain's log, blah blah blah, and he lays out the whole situation, and he goes into this whole thing talking about you know Deanna's upcoming marriage, and he makes some comment about. You know, in our enlightened age, you know, and where we're at in our our progression as people, you know, this sort of arranged marriage, he calls it unwise and uh, unworkable. And he he says a couple other derogatory things about it. And again, this this owes back to that that elitism that we were talking about. Well, at the same time, they're all like, they're all like, look at these stupid humans don't even understand. I mean, like. Troy, Troy and Wyatt understand it more. You know, they they they've come to terms with it more to the point of where they're like actually like okay, this this could work. They're working it on a totally different level than you know. Or that's at least how it's set up. Is you know that, that these people are even way more. In, they're always you know well you know the humans you know blah blah blah. You know that was pretty and you know and. I, doesn't she tell Wyatt that you know he's pretty smart for a human, or that was pretty important yeah. for a human, or something like that? Yeah. So, so that's re- it's really funny. It's like these two layers of people being condescending to each other. You know, it's just funny to me that I, I know for a fact that Star Trek: The Next Generation has been used as an example and as a model in several different real world scenarios you know by by companies and stuff i you know there was uh a company there was actually a book published about it there's something about something about like command style or something using picard as a model but there was also something a while back about that's just a way to sell books because yeah i would yeah. use kirk as a model if i was oh yeah do absolutely one of those. but there was also a thing looking at start you know next gen as this really nice model for like cultural like cultural diversity and acceptance of other cultures and you know how people of many diverse backgrounds could all live and work together and everything that i think may come down the road like by the series end it may have had that feel but looking at it right here i don't buy that shit at all no there's a lot of there's a lot of humans being very you know snotty and, and right and Picard. it's really funny well in the in the yeah in the original series one you know um Chekhov's girlfriend goes on a whole diatribe of like look the computers tell you guys what to do you know they order your life you have this you know and the way she describes their life is pretty, like, pretty not so attractive sounding. And they don't deny it. They don't go, well, you know. I mean, Chekhov says something right. like, well, the computers don't totally run everything or something. But, you know, I mean, she might be right on some certain levels in that. And uh, and this one, definitely, they end up being the pot that calls the kettle black, you know, many times. But at the same time, 
you know, you've got Picard, you, we, you've got the, well, Picard representing the humans being very, you know, snotty and condescending. But then there's always somebody coming in and just tweaking them and calling him an idiot, you know, and, and, and taking him to task to that, like Q or Loxana Troy, you know, that just come in and they obnoxiously, you know, treat him like a little kid. Treat, so maybe, maybe those characters, maybe that theme is, is sort of, you know, like the universe's reaction to the arrogance, the arrogance that humans have. They're in that phase where they're, smart enough to get into space and start poking around but not smart enough to realize that they're idiots you know <laughs> so so it could be a lot of a, a lot of the other races could be you know they could be smug like that because they're trying to be nice to us <laughs> but every once in a while it comes through just like did, we are did you the, catch that uh, Troy called Riker Bill Again in this episode. Yes. What's up I, with that? I think that's just because this episode is so close. You know, this is actually only the, uh, what would this be? The fourth episode, I think. You know, because Encounter, Encounter at Farpoint, if you take it as one episode rather than two, that was one. And then there was Naked Now, then Code of Honor. Yeah, this is actually the fourth show. And she did it before in Naked Now. I don't think it ever comes up again after this point, but I'll make a note, you know, if it does. But I just thought that that was interesting because she also called him Bill in uh, in Naked Now in that part in engineering. Uh-huh. But at some point they they dropped that and they just went with calling him Will. I just I, I thought that was interesting because I had to actually rewind that because I was like, wait a minute, did she just call him Bill? And she did. I thought that was funny. I also noticed that. Uh, after the big reveal, you know, of, of the, the woman from Wyatt's dreams being on the other ship, they go to commercial, they come back from commercial. And for the next few minutes, the music that is used is actually recycled from um, Encounter at Farpoint. And I thought that was really weird because I always thought that all the music in, in next gen episodes was completely original. But at least at one time in this one, they uh, they pulled it. I mean, it's it's note for note right out of uh, Encounter at Farpoint. I thought that was interesting. I love the part where, uh, you know, everybody in the Enterprise is standing and they're they're looking into the alien ship, and it's weird because the aliens aren't talking; they're not. They're just standing there, so it's like a stare off, you know. Yeah. And then finally, that one dude, the the blonde girl's, I guess it was her father steps forward and he says uh my name is ren and i was waiting for him to say and this is stimpy yeah. <laughs> stimpy <laughs> now did you notice the fucking jacket that uh Wyatt is wearing at the end of this episode when when he's gathering up medical supplies and then he en- he ends up beaming over to the plague ship did did you happen to get a really good look at the jacket? No. Why was it Han Solo's? No, 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 no. Next next time you watch this, or if you see a still of it or something, imagine that everything but the triangle shapes is red, and then the inside the triangle shapes is like a light gray. 
and tell me that it's not Mork from Orcs outfit. Oh, God. <laughs> it's totally Mork's outfit. I just realized who Wyatt looks like, why maybe we think of him like he looks like the kid from Escape from the original Escape from Witch Mountain. You know that he does kid? kind of, yeah, yeah. Ike Eisenman? Yeah. He was in all those Disney and yeah. weird flicks at that time. Yeah, he does. He was uh, he was Scotty's nephew in uh, Star Trek Two. Oh, that's right. That's right. Burnt to a crisp. I have the connection this time. I think you've done it every other time. Yeah, I couldn't think made... of one actually. Oh, this I time, thought so. of one. Both of these episodes feature part of the the big deal, part of the big threat, the big drama in the episode is plague carriers. Because Doctor oh, Severin was a plague right. carrier in in Way to Eden, and then the the whole ship full of plague. Oh, carriers. you're getting better, man. <laughs> you're getting better. <laughs> so I found a way to connect these two yeah. two episodes. Um, well, I could tell you what I hated about this episode. Go ahead. The briefing room scene. This had to be some of the stupidest briefing, useless briefing. It wasn't useless because it gave us information about who the Torellians were. Right, but as they went, did you notice they just sort of took turns telling the whole Torellian story? I I and, did because and then at the end they they're like, well, every you know that's one of the basic things you learn in Star. It's, so it's like, then why are you guys talking about it? It's like right. it would be like you and I sitting around, you know, going, well, you know, Scott in fourteen ninety two, and you'd be like, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know that shit. You know, we don't need to go over it. You know, before we well, get what into was the meat worse for me was they they do that, like you say, they do that round robin thing, and when they get to Tro- uh, to uh, Yar, excuse me, they get to Yar. She says, "Oh yes, we heard about this in security training, and then blah 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 blah." And I'm thinking, what the fuck does the Torellian plague have? anything to do with security what do you i mean yeah. unless you're you're bracing for an attack in case by you the... meet a Torellian, which there haven't been any for hundreds of years <laughs> but in case you run into some <laughs> it was really dumb yeah i, I that yeah. piece that line of dialogue was really stupid she just she should have just said something more simple like uh Oh yeah, I was just reading about that the other day, or you know, yeah, so, something like that. But I yeah, was reading was about that on the space train. internet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder what the porno is like on space internet. I bet you it's awesome. Well, I think I I have a feeling in this episode. I'm glad you brought this up that we were maybe about to see what the <laughs> yes. space porno was going to be like. But but then an emergency called Riker out of his room. Because he's just leading back, watching those ladies playing the harp, and then he's like, "Oh, gotta go, ladies." Later on, because I think maybe those ladies playing the harps might have started making out next. Oh you know what yeah, I'm saying I think yeah. he was just, I think he just like, because the way he was sitting in that chair, he was doing the like, you know, like I'm gonna get a lap dance posture <laughs> or whatever, you know. It was kind of creepy. It was kind of like, you know, Grandpa Itchy and the star wars christmas holiday special or whatever when he was watching starship i don't know it couldn't have been that exciting though because he instantly springs up and just marches right out the door to go deal with whatever the problem with and i would imagine that those space pajamas don't hide a boner very well well. i don't think it gotten to boner land yet i think he was just i think it was just in the here's a here's where you get to sit down after duty and maybe have a nice 
nice cocktail while we play <laughs> you a nice little relaxing song. And then, oh, by the way, look, we're making out. Naked, yeah. Yeah. That's that's what it totally seemed to me like he had, you know, because he seemed to know him personally, and I don't think, I think he is, a, he's definitely known as a mu- appreciator of music, but he's also known as appreciator of ladies. So we why need wouldn't to... he have the holo, holo thing that had the ladies that are musical? We need to keep a watch on things like this. We need to remember that kind of shit in the future and keep a watch because I don't off the top of my head recall a time when we ever see that again in in his quarters. Uh-huh. That that like hollow disc thing yeah. on the table. I mean, maybe it's one of those things where where it literally is a disc that he could just pick it up and, you know, put it back in the in the you know, in the cabinet, you know, where his TV is or something, but it looks like it's actually part of the table. And I don't recall ever seeing that particular table or, or you know, a hologram being used on it again. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll just have to keep an eye on that in the future. And this had Some... a scene that I loved in it. Uh-huh. Also, this show. It had a juicy fruit scene, I call them. <laughs> and it's from my favorite movie of all time, uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and Jack Nicholson sitting around with, you know, Chief Broom. And Chief Broom hasn't spoken a whole word a word and it has been completely mute in the whole movie and Jack Nicholson's like here chief you want some gum and chief takes the gum puts it in his mouth and goes hmm juicy fruit and you know Nicholson <laughs> looks over him and goes you son of a bitch you son of a bitch and uh <laughs> and that's there's a moment of that at the end with her with her with her butt boy where he goes thanks for the wine thank you for the wine or whatever and you know, and Picard's just like, oh my god, it talks. Now, did you know that that guy, you called him the Lurch guy earlier, that guy actually was Lurch in, uh, in the, the Adams Family, in the remake of the Adams yeah. Family. I don't know if he was in the second one, but he, I know he was in the first one, which yeah, I thought well, that was pretty cool. He was perfect for the role. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, he was pretty decent comedy relief. He could have been used to more effect. And I like the line of, like, Data, you're circling the place like a vulture. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Now, here's something. This could this could be a criticism of a zillion different Star Trek episodes, but I'm mentioning it here because this is where it really occurred to me. This is where it really hit me. How many times in Kirk's day did we see somebody just barge onto the bridge? And I, I remember it most, especially in um, Dagger of the Mind, when Van Gelder just runs in, brandishing yeah. a phaser, <laughs> you know? All right, so that was 80 years ago by this point. Yeah. We've seen a lot of advancements. We've seen really, we what we've really seen, honestly, is we've seen Roddenberry look back at his creation and go, I can plus that. I can make that better. I can fix that. I can do it right the second time around. But that's this right here is one of those things he didn't fix. Because we would literally see later on people barge into the bridge similar to Van Gelder. But it occurred to me in this one at the very end of this episode when Wyatt beams over to the other ship. First, his parents come storming onto the bridge to fuss it, you know, fuss at Picard. How the hell could you let this shit happen? You know, what kind of operation are you running here? And I'm thinking, this is the goddamn bridge, you know? 
mean, you shouldn't be able to just storm on there and chew the fucking captain out. And then not like a minute later, Loxana shows up shooting her mouth off. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, come on. There's, 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 there's gotta be, even though this isn't real military, like we discussed earlier, still, you would think that it's maybe the bridge. You don't want it, yeah. distractions going on on there. There's that's yeah. why there's conference rooms and places, other places, you know, public places and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, Loxana's obnoxious. I wouldn't expect her to. But the 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 other couple, they were you know they were a sort of mild mannered. You wouldn't think that they would you know. But then again, they were a wealthy couple too, so they right. with, with their son going off, they might feel that they're entitled to go on the bridge. But yeah, you shouldn't be there. There, you know, you would think that that there would at least be a security officer, maybe like on the elevator to the bridge. You know, on all the you know that actually all the entrances to the bridge might actually be like guarded a little bit. You know, right <laughs> for that. Uh, that's where I would put security, you know, at least at least keeping an eye on what's going on. I mean, I would be absolutely flabbergasted to find out that in our modern world that you could take a ride on like, you know, Norwegian Norwegian cruise lines or the fucking right, Kiwi right. 2 or the Disney Magic and be allowed to walk right onto the bridge and, well, and I thought you were going to say like an aircraft carrier and then I was going to say shit you couldn't even do that oh, with yeah. a cruise ship but yeah you're right. right yeah I mean come on there's all those people's lives at stake you know it's right kind of important yeah I mean may, maybe maybe if you were damn lucky or you you got you know you won some intership lottery or something you'd get a, a tour of the of the bridge or something like that but I mean literally being able to just you know take the elevator on up you know go fuss well, at the captain it just it it really it seemed to with with just TV in general uh, in in episodes that are and I wouldn't say this is a comedy episode, but it's more it's 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 more comedic. It's more humorous than usual. A lot of times they seem to bend the rules more for it, you know, in order to pay off their their stuff, you know. So right. Maybe since this one wasn't a big battle, you know, it was more of a personal stories sort of thing that they thought they could get away with it, or they didn't even think of it to begin with. That's what I, I got more of the impression of. It was just like, you know, they needed them to walk onto the br- it was it would be easier to have all the characters on the bridge looking at the view screen at that time than to do it in two or three scenes. Right. In two or three different places and a hell of a lot cheaper. And that's where you're really getting to the bottom line. Well, it comes down to that that fine line between you know, credibility and and wanting to do things and, and make it very believable, but then also not wanting to stymie yourself. And you know, practical and what, yeah. what you can get away with in a weekly TV show. So, you know, I'm not, I don't get too ups. I I I will let stuff like that fly in an episode like this. If it was an episode where it was a Van Gelder running onto the someone running right. onto the phaser with a bridge to shoot somebody then then i might be like well i don't know if you should you know push that credibility but i i i just think the question of whether they should be able to walk on the bridge is less likely to is easier to get away with in this situation it's less likely that somebody's going to be like wait why are they 
walking up unless they're like a really super picky comic Star Trek nerd. I'll give you that in this one. But when we get to uh, the last episode of this season's an episode uh-huh. called The Neutral Zone. Love that episode, by the way. I can't wait till we get to that one. But there's a scene exactly like this in that episode that drives me apeshit. Because that's the one where the Romulans return. And it's a big deal in the episode. You know, they, they uncloak and Data gives this whole spiel about, wow, hey, it's the, it's the fucking Romulans. We haven't seen these guys in like, you know, umpteen years, you know. And it's this big standoff. They're nose to nose with this Romulan warbird. You know, they're at red alert. It's this very tense situation. And this dude from the subplot, you know, the the B plot of the episode, strolls onto the bridge and, and starts, you know, spouting off and, and adding to an already, like, extremely tense situation. And again, it's one of these things where, you know, why the How hell is this guy here? allowed yeah. to just walk right in, you know? I mean, you know, you would think... It, that's you know, exactly why he wouldn't be allowed to walk right in. Yeah. He would do something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it does. It push. It pushes the bounds of, of credibility, but also, it, you know, when when you discover something like that, I think it makes them look kind of stupid. You know, it, it makes Picard and them look kind of, I don't know, naive. Yeah. Or yeah, it's like you guys don't remember the Van Gelder incident, <laughs> right? I think there was even. I can't remember the. It may have been the entropy effect. One of the earliest Star Trek novels I ever read, that was like the the premise of the book. Man, was it that one or was it... Might have been one of those Phoenix books, like Price of the Phoenix. Anyway, I remember there being a, a book where it involved a time travel element because somebody literally walked in onto the bridge and executed Captain Kirk, just shot him point blank and killed him. And then it became this whole thing about, you know, using time travel to to defeat the guy. Man, I can't remember which book that was. It might have been Entropy Effect. So, again, you know, that was, strangely enough, I, that, that kind of came to my mind when I caught that scene in this one of, of these guys just walking right onto the bridge like that. Put me in mind of that scene where somebody just walked in and just shot the captain. It seemed like after an incident like that, then you'd you'd clamp down, I think. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't let that shit go on again, you know. But it just seems odd to me that, you know, there's not some like, I don't know. You know, I mean, ev- everything else in their world is controlled by computers. So it seems like maybe there'd be something tied into like their their com badges or something to where the the turbo lift would would know okay your commander so and so you work the night shift on the bridge okay we're going to let you go to the bridge but you you know your your ensign such and such that works in you know latrine repair you know no fucking way we're going to let you go to you don't have a purpose to go to the bridge you know so your your security clearance is denied or whatever and it's all tied through like their com badges or something like that I don't know. I guess I'm overthinking this shit, but <laughs> you know Especially what I mean. On such a fluffy episode. Oh my god! Well, maybe that's why is because I, I, I gotta just be honest, with you. I just don't. I mean, really, like who this. cares if she got married off the show? You know. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Marry her and take her ass with you, yeah, please. There Thank you. There wasn't an awful lot of tension in this, this no. one as to what was going to happen because nobody really cared. 
And if the plague people went down to, to Haven, who cares, man? All we know about Haven is there's one hot chick who looks like a massage parlor lady standing in front of a nice little window. <laughs> That's all we know about that planet. So how much do we care about that? And you know, Riker. Riker, who is... I, I'm pretty sure he's my favorite character in Next Gen. I just like Riker. Even he puts in a piss poor showing in this episode. All he does is whine. You know, oh, you're leaving the ship. Oh, you don't love me anymore. And I'm like, oh, God. And they got the cheesy love music. But I mean, they were yeah. really, really going for that Decker Ilea thing. And I think they just failed spectacularly in this one. I, I just didn't, I didn't feel it at all. Well, you know, I mean, I, it came to the point of where, you know, she just told them you can whine about it, but the bottom line is you ought to be a starship captain, so you ain't getting married if you're going to be a starship captain, so I'm doing what I want to do it. Right. Uh, and, and you know, he was <laughs> like, you're right, you know. I, I thought it was very interesting that they resolved the, the, you know, they actually had all three characters, like, completely confront all their feelings with each other, you know, and that was really his first time meeting, you know, Wyatt and, you know, and Wyatt's telling her, you know, I don't know, I've been seeing this blonde chick, you know, and you weren't the blonde chick, you know, and yeah, how people, rude was that? Well, I mean, that, that was, that was, but that's the thing is, as, as not advanced humans, we see it as rude, but they're, they were just being blunt and saying, you know, being honest, completely flat out honest with their emotions. And it was interesting to see that play out. And he actually was a little advanced. Riker was, by the way, he like, you know, and if if, if it had been the original series, the tension between Wyatt and Riker probably would have been um, illustrated in a fist fight, you know. Oh, I would have liked that. Yeah, it would have been a lot more exciting. Yeah, but the, yeah. In the, instead, this one, it, you know, it, it sort of doctor fills itself out, you know. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think they did that purposely to say this is, you know, how they've <laughs> advanced Phil. in this, you know, Dr. Phil. Ah, fuck been... advance. I'd love to see Riker just totally whoop his Sean Cassidy looking ass right there on the scene. I would have liked that a lot. <laughs> That would have definitely elevated this episode to a higher level, in my in my opinion. <laughs> if you just mopped the fucking holodeck with the guy, I would have liked that. Just did a few Kirk moves on him, yeah. Well, also, now that I think about it, there was a scene that didn't make any sense to me in this one. Because, all right, see, if the, the, the part where Riker is on the holodeck and he's crying and she comes in and they start talking... And she says something about, what was that? Human adolescents have a hard time separating physical love from actual platonic love or something. What the, what the hell was she saying? And I, right. what, what I took away from... Of, it was a load of bullshit is what it was. Well, what I took away from that was, was she trying to tell him that you know, I don't really love you. I it's was just, just kind platonic. of fucking you, and and yeah, you know, when we when we had our little fling back on Beta well, Z, that's, you know, that's oh, that not just... accurate with what they said. You know, the way it was in the first issue, where they right. actually could talk to each other psychically, and there was a there was an actual you know acknowledged bond between them, and 
Right. And, and, and sometimes people say stuff like that to, like, turn somebody away or, you know, make it easier for them to... But I wouldn't imagine a Betazoid would, would do that, you know? So, yeah, it was very inconsistent with her character. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it was also and it was also a load of bullshit and he sort of called her on it and so maybe it was you know showing that you know well she's half human too so maybe that right. was a weakness in her beta z oh was that she actually got a little digging on him or you know or, or or said that you know or we've had to be platonic and he was just like come on <laughs> that you just reminded me of one other thing i i failed to write down but i'll, I'll mention it real quick now, this would come down later. It's not really, like, going against continuity yet, but it comes up way, way, way late in the series. There's that part early in this one where they're walking down the corridor, and Troy says something, and her mother says, oh, that accent, you know, and she comments on her accent, says something about, you know, it reminds me so much of your father. Way later in the series we actually meet Troy's father in it's like a flashback or hallucination or some damn thing. And he talks just like the rest of, I mean, he's, he's completely American, you Uh know? And it's like, all right, so where did she get this goofy accent that she's got? If she doesn't talk like her mother or her father. So I just thought that was worth pointing out that, that we see later on that that well, does. He, he, really... he learned perfect English, but when he got drunk, his accent came out. <laughs> Maybe he that never was never saw it. him drunk. There we go. <laughs> when I he got drunk and King. beat Deanna and her mother, yeah. He... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sure did. It's oh, obvious, like... isn't I'd it? I'd like to see that episode, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to get what you want, man never going to get what you want with Deanna Troy. That's about all I got for this. So I want to do a uh, read something real quick though, that I just, I just thought this was really, really interesting. It's in the uh, Star Trek companion after the little synopsis, they give little tidbits of information and such. And this it's one, I companion. thought, was really cool. Oh, companion. What did I say? Compendium companion. No, I'm um, saying it's, you said companion. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, it's the, comp- I just see you yeah. standing out in like, outside your house with a wiggly piece of energy around your head. (laughs) It says, uh, in one of the loveliest coincidences of Trek trivia, Richard Compton found himself directing this episode exactly 20 years to the day after appearing, uh, after appearing in a one line walk on role on the old show as Lieutenant Washburn, a member of Scotty's team trying to repair the dead constellation in the Doomsday Machine. I thought that was really cool because I remember that guy, Uh Washborn, because I think Kirk says something. He's like, Washborn, go do something while we talk, you know, whether the adults talk or something. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) I think think all he ever says is like, I, sir, or I don't know, sir, or something like that. So, yeah. I, sir? (laughs) I, sir. I, sir. But that's all I got on this one. That's all I got too. It's interesting how a how an episode I really didn't like very much. We we still found a lot to to discuss out of it anyway. Well, here's normally where we would be picking our next Star Trek the original series with the Star Trek computer. But 
Well, I say let's go. Let's still go ahead and do that. And when when we're able to get together again, you and I will. That'll be the next one that we'll do. Okay. All but right. Well, in let the me. Interim, you're just gonna have to be creative and come up with something I else. I know. Let me <laughs> plug this goddamn thing in then. I don't usually plug it in if I'm not planning on using it because it fucking sucks half a city blocks worth of power. Just to pick a random number. All right, we've got number 27. Oh my god. 27 is the alternative factor. This is that one with uh, Lazarus, isn't it? You know, I, I don't know. I think it is. If it is, oh boy. <laughs> oh, it Lazarus. Could, yeah. yeah, it could be interesting because that's probably, off the top of my head, that's probably the next, the uh, original series episode I remember the absolute vaguest because I think that's the one I've seen the least amount of times. I haven't seen it too many. All I remember is Lazarus had a very weird-looking bubble UFO ship. Alternative factor. Yep, Lazarus. That's the one. Yep. All right. <laughs> and well, the next gen episode for next time will be the big goodbye, which uh, I'm led to believe that one's something of a fan favorite. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that one won some sort of award. But I, I it's been a while, so I may be. I may be wrong on that fact, but it wasn't uh, a favorite of yours because it didn't involve Troy or Wesley being given the big <laughs> goodbye. Is it? Was it? That would have been excellent. <laughs> All right, man. All Until right. next time. Did you know? You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.